Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to episode 53 of the Women's Running Podcast. I'm Esther Newman, editor of Women's Running, and in this episode I speak to running royalty and three-time Olympian Ailish McColgan. Ailish is an Olympic World and Commonwealth finalist who has just returned from her third Olympics in Tokyo, where she competed in the 5,000 metre and 10,000 metre races. Ailish is an avid user of Polar, the world leader in wearable sports and heart rate technology. Polar are pioneers in wearable sports technology, helping athletes and coaches at all levels to improve their health, performance and overall well-being. Renowned for an unparalleled dedication to scientific accuracy, reliability and a superior user experience, Polar has cemented itself globally within the industry as the go-to partner for anyone looking to discover their true potential. I chatted to Ailish while she was in her training camp in France a couple of weeks before she flew out to Tokyo, and I was beyond excited to see how she was going to do, particularly as she had recently smashed Paula Radcliffe's long-standing British 5,000 metre record. In the event, she came ninth in the 10,000 metres, and she was typically pragmatic about that result, saying, This Olympics might not have gone quite as perfectly as I'd have liked, but I left every ounce on the track, and she clearly enjoyed every minute of it. I speak to her about smashing Paula's record, training for the Olympics, what it's like being trained by your super famous mum and your boyfriend, and how her training and the distances she trains for have changed since breaking her foot. Ailish is already a track legend. We've been watching her intently since London 2012, and we cannot wait to see what she does next. Podcast listeners can claim the best discount we have for membership to Women's Running, which is 35% off. That's less than two ninety-five a month, and for that you get our brilliant magazine, and you also get loads of money off the sorts of stuff you love, like kit, nutrition, 
and class memberships. Go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk and enter WRPod at the checkout for your discount. Happy running. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I kind of, I get the feeling that you're probably a little bit busy right now. So um, I do really appreciate you spending half an hour with us. So that's... Um, no, no, it's all right. It's all good. It's all where, good. Where are you? I'm currently in Fontenot over in France. Um, it's our sort of, we were meant to have a, an altitude training base in Japan, um, but because of COVID, everything's just been chopped and changed. So um, a lot of the endurance athletes are out here now at altitude. Um, and then we all head into Japan all on different dates. So I've got another uh, another two weeks here, actually. Okay. Um, so, yeah, still another good chunk of time here. Um, but, yeah, athletes are going in starting probably from next week onwards. Are you nervous? Um, do you know what? No, I'm not. I mean, this is my, my third Olympics now, so I sort of know what to expect. And mm-hmm. I think this will be a much more scaled down version of what I've already experienced as well. So... I don't actually feel nervous, to be honest. I feel I'm in very good shape, more better shape than I've ever been in. So um, I just, I'm happy it's going ahead in some capacity. It's not going to yeah. be obviously the Olympics that we've all sort of uh, dreamed of, but it's still it's still happening. And I think for a long time, we weren't sure if, if that would be the case at all. Yeah. Is it, is it going to feel, is it going to feel strange not to have all the crowds? Yeah. I mean, I suppose we're getting a little bit more used to it. The whole of last year, I think I maybe only had a couple of meets that had spectators there. So it's become the sort of new norm, just accepting that that's, that's the way it is and that's the way it has to be. Um, there's obviously so many more protocols as well when you go into these events. And to be honest, it's just entirely different. It just is a completely different world that you're thrown into over the last year. But I suppose the more that we keep racing, the more it becomes normal. Um I suppose in the back of my mind, I just have to remember that all my friends and family and everyone will be watching at home on the TV. So although there's no spectators in the stadium, there's still going to be yeah millions of people all around the world watching the event. And um, yeah, I suppose I just have to keep that in the back of my mind when I'm performing that, yeah, my family are all there wishing me well at some, yeah. some other uh, corner of the world. What was the lockdown effect? I mean, what was it like training, you know, for, for last, for 2020 and then having to kind of duck down again and then build up again for this year? Um, To be honest, I wasn't massively affected by the lockdown because we had actually travelled out to America about five days before coronavirus hit. (gasps) So it was was so surreal, honestly. We had travelled out there, just our normal training camp to prepare for the Olympic Games, which we thought would go ahead. And yeah, five, six days into camp, obviously COVID hit and it was just all over the news it was just such a a huge story of course and it really did obviously change the world so we were a little bit unsure as to what to do um but at that point the olympics was still going ahead so we just continued training on as much as we could um at that point in america everything was still open so we still had facilities and tracks and gyms um and then once things started to close there we had moved back to the uk so to be honest we almost had missed the sort of severe lockdown in America and we'd also missed the severe lockdown in the UK. So we were really, really, really lucky, to be honest, to have been able to continue training. And I think as a runner and as an endurance runner, 
I was even more lucky because we were always allowed to exercise outside. Do you mean that was part of um, the government guidelines that you were still allowed to go out running? Mm. So for me, it was it wasn't too much of a. I suppose, a, a detriment to my training. Um, I think if you're a swimmer, Jim, and you had no access to swim pools, if you played uh, tennis or you're a judo player, Jim, and there were, there were so many different things that you would have, you were so restricted. Whereas I felt very fortunate that I was able to continue doing something that I love to do. Um, of course, there weren't very many races happening. So that took a bit of a getting used to, I think, uh, certainly this year, just races were popping up everywhere. Um but I suppose I just continued training in the hope that I knew that at some point an event would happen. It may, might not have been the Olympic Games, but it may have been a European Championships or the World Championships are coming up next year. So there's always something to aim for. Um, and that really was just my main focus to just keep training as best as I could in the different circumstances we were under. And um, yeah, in the hope that one day an event would would appear again. And for me, that's obviously now the Olympic Games is is happening. Yeah, yeah. And then and I, I've not even said congratulations for last weekend. I mean, oh, thank what you. an amazing record, what an emotional performance. I think it's just absolutely incredible. Can you can you talk me through it and, and how it felt when you were running it? Yeah, I suppose the last couple of years I've been really disappointed with the 5K because my training has always been going pretty well and then I've come into a race and just not quite hit the time that I felt I was capable of there would always be something that would sort of let me down whether it was my own body or whether it was uh, illness or whether I trained a bit too hard whether it was periods like there was always something I felt that just undermined my performance on that day Mm -hmm. and honestly it just felt really good to have there was nothing went wrong everything went right like to just have that one day where you're feeling great you're feeling strong and everything just just clicks together um it was also the first race we'd had with like a good amount of spectators in the stadium too so it was nice to be to have that atmosphere again and to feel like this was like a really big important race um it was my first diamond league of the year like of that uh in my my own event the 5000 meters and they've started removing now the the 5k as a distance as a race distance so again that was sort of in the back of my mind too knowing that I really had this one opportunity to try and run as fast as I possibly could. Training would be going better than ever, ever before. So that gave me a lot of confidence too. And I think I just wanted to make the most of the opportunity that had had arisen. Um, but yeah, I was over the moon to 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 run as well as I did and to to break that record. Um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for any more. I just tried my best to try and stay with the the top girls. Um, I knew obviously Helen Abiri and Kemboy as well was just, they would be the strong athletes uh, in the race and that they'd be the ones fighting probably for medals in, in uh, Tokyo as well. So I just tried my best to stay with them for as long as I possibly could. Um, my boyfriend before the race had said to me, just literally switch off your brain. Don't think about times or splits. Just literally try and stay with those top three girls for as long as you possibly can. Because I know if I can get to the last couple of laps, I have good speed in me. I sort of, you become competitive, even if you're tired, when you get excited because it's, uh, you're still involved in the race. So yeah, there was a lot of excitement around that race. And um, yeah, it's a shame that my family obviously weren't, weren't there in the stadium, but um, I went straight to drug testing because that's like the protocol after you you break a national record. And um, I had something like two and a half hours in there. So I ended up calling uh, 
Michael, my mom and my dad pretty much as soon as I can. And um, it was really nice. It was a really sort of nice memory that I'll always, uh, I'll always remember. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And do you, I mean, do you have a relationship at all with Paula Radcliffe? Were you able to speak to her afterwards and like commiserate her on losing her record? Uh, she actually was one of the people, like one of the first people that had messaged me, which is really oh, nice. So, um, I had saw her, I had raced uh, a couple of weeks before in a race in France, but I had done like three competitions that week. So this was my final one. I'm just a bit tired. And she had said to me, oh, what, what time do you think you can run? And I was like, I think... I can run in the 1430. I think I'm close to running that, but I was way off that day and I just was tired and it, I just didn't go very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she sent me a really nice message after the race, just saying it shows that you just needed a little bit more recovery in the legs. You had obviously, you know, you're in good shape. So um, yeah, fantastic run and, and really happy for you. So um, obviously she's someone I've watched as a kid, like for, for many, many years, like, um, my mom obviously is a huge inspiration for me, but I wasn't, that wasn't my generation. Do you mean, I don't remember my mom running. I've never <laughs> seen her run. Whereas when I was growing up, it was Paula Radcliffe that was on the TV and um, she was the one that was breaking all the records and always representing Team GB at the Olympics and world champs. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty special to, to break that. And it's given me a lot of confidence now as well to, to sort of, aim for some of the other records I'd love to try and break the the 3k record on the track um the 10k is probably one of the toughest ones it's 30.09 which is I mean a crazy crazy time but um I feel really strong in training at the moment so again I'd like to try and aim for that maybe this year or next year Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that that run has really given me a lot of confidence now to look at the other records and think actually maybe I can do this maybe I can I can break some more of these What's it like? Um, what's it like with the other members of Team GB? Does it because it, it like like you were talking about with you and Paula, and and this is what I hear when I talk to other athletes as well. It does seem like such an incredibly supportive sort of industry in a way. Like it feels like you all kind of buoy each other up in a way. Is it is it like that in Team GB? Like behind the scenes at the Olympics? Um, I'd say it's it's quite different at the Olympics because you're coming in and out on different days as the endurance team. So it's not like the swimmers or the cyclists where you, they all come into the village at the same time, like endurance, because we use altitude training, we come in and dribs and drabs. So sometimes it's a little bit tricky to sort of be able to watch everyone competing, but you usually have an awareness of what days the other endurance runners are are on. And I think because we do come in and out and we're always on camps together, like we're in Fontenot just now, and sometimes we'll be in Flagstaff. And I think that probably does make you a little bit closer with the other endurance runners because you're used to being like spending months away all the time. Um, but I mean, just last night, like Lizzie Bird, um, the British steeplechaser just broke the national record as well for uh 3000 meter steeplechase. It's an event obviously I used to do. And I watched Lizzie train just a couple of days ago and we'd said to her, I, I think you can do this. Like, do you, we think you can break it. Um, and then even watching Laura Muir and Gemma Riki last night as well, they've been out here training in Fontenot. I know how hard they train. Mm. Um, and the two of them went 156 for 800, one and two. So I think I would say, yeah, it's a bit of a, a close knit, I suppose, community. Um, I think one of the best things is being able to wish others well, because you get that sort of positive uh that the positivity that they then bring from their good performances, you then can sort of use as well if that makes sense I don't Mm -hmm. know I enjoy seeing other people be successful because then it makes me think actually 
I work hard. I want this too. This is how I want to go and perform and race. Um, so there's definitely an element of that. I think when you see other people run well and fast, it gets, they, gets you thinking, what can you do? Um, but yeah, it was great to see those three girls, particularly last night, knowing that they were here training um, and obviously are heading out to Tokyo as well with me. It was it was a pretty special evening for all of us in our own little apartments in Fontremont because of COVID, we obviously can't mix. But um, you could hear like people cheering from from different apartments, which was really nice. Oh, that's lovely. I wanted to talk to you too about injuries in a way, because um, I'd spoken, I spoke to you a couple of years ago at the NRS and I remember you I remember it was quite vivid to me that I remember you talking about how you had to train differently to other athletes potentially training for the same distances that you were training for because of your foot and that you had to do that your mileage was was far less than than a normal athlete would have to is that is that still the case yeah so I think in the past like I would find that very difficult like mentally that I was unable to do what I felt I should be should be doing because obviously you see what all the other women are doing you think well I need to be doing that um but actually over the last couple of years it's made me realize that actually everyone is completely individual and one training schedule just doesn't work for another person and even what my mum used to do 20 years ago 30 years ago isn't what works for me like we're different individuals even though she's my mom and we're genetically we are still different and and I have to train differently in order to get um better performances out and I think over the years it's taken me a lot of time to get that confidence in being individualized and just focusing and concentrating on myself rather than worrying about others and I suppose it's just come over the years of I've not had the opportunity to do the same mileage as other people because I just continually would break down um I have five five screws I have seven screws, sorry, yeah, seven screws and a plate in my left foot. Wow. I have five from the first surgery and two from a second surgery. Um, so yeah, I have a bit of a, a bionic foot going on there and it's just not been feasible for me to get up to the same mileage as is what I probably should be race, uh, competing, uh, training at, sorry, for the races I compete in. But um it's something that we've built on every year. So I've managed to go from, I mean, it used to be probably 40 miles and now we're going up towards 60, up to 70. So I have gradually been able to build that up, but it's taken a long time to get to that point. Um, I still do an awful lot of cross training. Um, I very rarely double run. Um, I used to not double run at all, but again, it's something that we're trying to introduce a little bit more now as I move up in distance and try to become stronger with a sort of future view to move to the marathon. I do need to start upping mileage a little bit um but I think this year if anything has shown me that again if I could just individualize my own training focus on what works for me again it's finding like a format that works for you and we've completely changed my weekly routine and um, we've even tweaked a lot of my training sessions this year and it was a bit of a risk doing so but I feel like it's a risk that really has paid off because I feel stronger fitter faster than I've ever ever been before um and yeah, I think it gives me a lot of confidence as well, knowing that if I can do that off of, say, the the 60 miles that I'm running just now up to 65, I think if I can really move that on gradually over the next couple of years, there's no reason why I can't be up at 80, 85 when I look towards the marathon. It'll still be a long way off probably the, the 120 that my mum used to do or 110 that a lot of marathon runners do. But um, I have to just, yeah, focus on myself and uh, realize what works for me is is different we're all completely different I mean do you think in a way that 
you know, so is it true that you got the injury um, after? Was it from steeplechase that you got the injury? Yeah, steeplechase. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you think that that in a way it's been sort of quite good for your career because it's forced you into a different direction? Yeah, I'd say like the reason I started the steeplechase was just I wasn't. Um, I wasn't wasn't good enough for the other events. I wasn't fast enough over the flat events. And the steeplechase was like a relatively new event for women. It had only sort of come into championships, I think, from maybe 2009. And so 2011, I sort of dabbled in a couple of steeplechases and was ranked sort of first in, in Scotland. And then I sort of uh, did a couple of British races and was getting closer and closer to sort of making my first GB team. And to be honest, it was, I never believed I would be good enough to make a GB team. So I think the steeplechase sort of opened a a door for me and it gave me a bit of an insight into what it takes to become a a professional athlete. Um, And I feel very grateful I had the opportunity, I think, because it was an introductory event obviously the the standard was a little bit lower and there wasn't many girls doing it. So I sort of it did open a door for me. And, and as I said, after 2011, I broke my foot for the first time. Um, I sort of fought my way back to make the London 2012 Olympics and it was far beyond anything I could have imagined. And I wasn't really fully prepared uh, for that games, but of course it was an amazing experience um, I then sort of continued on in the steeplechase thinking that was going to be my, I'd made an Olympics. Why couldn't I sort of go on and get better and faster and stronger? But sadly for me in 2015, I had a, another serious injury um, and I was sort of forced. It wasn't a decision on my behalf. I would love to have continued in the steeplechase, but my own body, I just couldn't do it. Um, I was really struggling to to run, never mind try and jump 35 barriers as well so I made the decision to try and switch to the the flat so to aim for my first ever sort of 5k on at that level mm-hmm. um and within a year I qualified for for Rio and I couldn't believe it I'd taken off something like 42 seconds or something from my 5k best um and I think that was the first time I realized that the lower mileage because I was forced to run a lower mileage and to cross train because of the pain I had in my foot it then made me realise that actually maybe this is a format that that works for me here. I'm actually fitter doing less but higher quality work than all the sort of quantity I was doing. Mm-hmm. And we've just followed that format ever since. And I think now when I look back, it definitely was a blessing in disguise because my flat times were never anywhere near the times that um, I started running. And I think it gave me more drive and determination to make it work because I knew the steeplechase wasn't an option anymore and I'd had a little bit of a taste of it of what being like a professional athlete was and then all of a sudden it was it was going to be taken away so I sort of forged my way in a new event and I think now when I look back it's it was probably one of the best things that happened because I was so determined then to try and improve my flat times not just the five but the 1500 and then now I've obviously come into uh, the 10k as well so it was a a challenging couple of years but when I look back on it now it certainly made me uh, into a far stronger athlete. Yeah I, you, I mean you've done so many races I mean you were talking about um, 2012 and you know and, and building up from there in 2016 and stuff which has been your most memorable race? Um, I'd say most memorable is I think it'll always be the London Olympics just the first um, major global event I've ever done and so for it to be an Olympics um, and for it to be a 
a home Olympics was just far beyond anything I could have ever imagined, prepared for. It was just mad. Um, just the whole experience, the whole Olympic experience from being in a village to being in like a holding camp before you train there. Just honestly, the facilities, the people from all over the world, like I just had never, I suppose, realized just how big that would be. Even the media surrounding it was just crazy. It was very, very intense and a very intense environment. But that memory of standing on the start line in the Olympic kit and when they shouted out our names, there was myself and there was Barbara Parker and, um, it was just the most incredible feeling in the world. Like I was petrified, absolutely petrified to the point where I thought I might cry because I was just so overwhelmed and scared, <laughs> to be honest, because you felt the, obviously the pressure to, to perform, knowing that there was something like 60 or 80,000 British fans in this stadium. It was just mm-hmm. absolutely bonkers and just beyond anything I, I could have dreamed of. So for me, although that I didn't run very well that day, it's not a surprise. I had used all that nervous energy for about three days in the lead up to the competition, but it's still one of the the, the best memories I think I have um, of racing. And I think it probably will always remain one of the best memories of my life. Just the how incredible your first Olympics is. I think you'll always remember your first. Um, I think on a sort of personal, as in like good performance, I'd say winning a medal in Berlin was like my first European medal. That for me sort of stands out. It was again, a day where everything just clicked. I'd gone into the race uh, again in really good shape and confident and I just needed everything to go my way on that day and, and it did so again another sort of Olympic historic stadium it was really special to receive my medal at the very very top of the stadium overlooking everyone was was really really cool and um, yeah that's a really again another really special moment that'll stay with me. Yeah yeah I can imagine um, and if it's all right I'd, I'd love to talk to, through just um, your training and how sort of like what a week's training for you at the moment, what that looks like and how you use Polar, because I know that you're supported by Polar, how the technology that you get through um, their technology, through uh, the, the app and things like that, how that supports your particular training? Yeah, I suppose I've, I'm like all athletes, I mean, I'm very um, focused on obviously what distance I'm covering, uh, what pace I'm doing. But for me, heart rate has been really important as well because um, I pretty much track my heart rate on all of my runs um, to make sure, again, I know over the years of just building all that data, I have it all on the Polar Flow app so I can look back to what training has worked and what hasn't worked over the years. And I know what heart rate zone now I need to run in um, in order to make sure that I'm, not pushing too hard, but equally I'm not just dilly-dallying around and I'm getting enough out of what I need to do um, within the week. And it's even more important for me with the cross-training that I do as well for that exact same reason, because it's very easy if you think, oh, uh, I'll just cross-train instead. I need to do more and I need to really push myself in order to get um, the most out of that session. But again, mm-hmm. it's finding that right balance and the heart rate is the best tool to, to allow you to do that. Um, because you can get carried away pushing too hard. And that just allows me to know, right, my heart rate pretty much for an easy run would be probably no higher than 150, 145, maybe around there. Cross training would be a little bit lower. It'd be anywhere from 135 to maybe 145 at max. And I don't think I'd really go over that much. 
um, I find that when I have gone over it, I just end up getting too tired and then it affects my hard sort of quality track intervals, which really are the key components of my week. I have two, sometimes three, depending on what we're doing throughout the month and racing and travel and things like that. And those really are the key parts of my training. I need to make sure that those quality track sessions are where I am hitting my pace exactly. Mm. So everything around that is supplementary. And that's why I sort of focus on heart rate quite a lot. Um, Another tool on the Vantage, uh, I wear the V2 at the moment. And another really useful tool is the sleep tracking. Again, just especially when I'm on training camps because I'm up at altitude, I need to ensure that I am actually recovering from the sessions that I'm doing. And if it means that we need to, if my watch is telling me your resting heart rate has been through the roof, you're compromised recovery overnight, you're not quite recovering the way you should be, then it's up to me and my coach and Michael as well to like think, right, do we change it? Do we move the uh, training back another day? Do I schedule in an extra rest day? Um, Things like that, just to try and ensure that I'm on top of the recovery side of things. And the watch can give you, honestly, so many stats overnight. Um, I'm probably a little bit too obsessive with it in the fact that I just love seeing it. And it always correlates to, to be honest, how I feel anyway. When I wake up in the morning, I have quite a good awareness of my own body now anyway but it's nice to have the science and the data to almost back up how you are feeling too um so yeah the sleep tracking is something that i i use every single day i mean i, I have this watch on me 24 7 um but i'd say that for recovery wise is is really really important i think that's so interesting because i think that a lot of people might start, start thinking about getting fitness trackers or gps watches or something to monitor their performance you know to monitor like what yeah. they're doing when they're out there Whereas actually one of the most important things that they do is, is kind of help us recover well. What, what are the other things that you do to help you recover along with sleep? Um, I'd say sleep is obviously hugely important. Um, again, nutrition as well. Um, I don't follow like a really strict diet or anything, um, but I do ensure that I'm having, like if I've done a hard session, I'll always have something within the next probably within the next half an hour after a hard session to make sure I'm like replenishing glycogen and just getting in some, some good calories into me. Mm-hmm. Um, easiest way to do that is through some sort of like protein shake. So a little bit of milk, a little bit of protein in there. Um, and then sometimes if I, most of the time I'll have like a snack with me. Um, I actually have like chia charge bars, which are little like granola bars that again, have a bit of protein in there too. So I'll try and make sure I have something like that in my bag for like half an hour straight after training. Um, I find I can eat that and drink a protein shake easier than going home and having like a full big lunch within the first 20 minutes, half an hour. I quite struggle to do that. So I'll make sure I get that down me first. And then in the next sort of 90 minutes, two hours, I'll have my, my proper lunch then once my, my stomach is settled. Um, so I'd say, yeah, sleeping and eating are definitely two of the key things to try and recover as best I can. Yeah. Um, I do quite a lot of stretching with my program as well. So I suppose it's up to me to make sure that I'm in a good routine every evening before bed. I'll have like a little bit of stretching routine with a rope. I have like a, a Theragun uh, massage gun, which has been like an absolute lifesaver as well. Um, because of COVID, obviously, we haven't been able to access physiotherapies and uh, therapists. And um, so I've become more reliant on being self-sufficient and looking after myself rather than someone else having to look after my body. So um, it's actually been 
a bit of a, a wake up call really to make sure that I am focusing on because for me the running is like the easiest part that's the bit I love to do but like stretching and foam rolling and that's the bit that can sometimes get lost along the way so <laughs> I've made sure to really make every evening even if it's just 10-15 minutes before I go to my bed just a small routine it's nothing like too arduous it doesn't take a huge amount of time but it has just allowed me to increase my flexibility for sure a little bit. I'm still working on that, but um, also just remain injury free. It's I definitely helped with regards to reducing injury. And um, I think it's one of the, the best things is that you can do it yourself. Do you know I mean, you don't have to have, you don't need to be reliant on someone else to look after your own body. So yeah, I'd say those are the key three things really sleep recovery um getting in good fuel throughout the day and then finally just stretching, rolling, massage, um, being a bit more proactive on looking after the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, as you were touching on then about coaches and stuff, is your mum still your coach? Yes. So my mum pretty much does the overall, the overview of like my programme um, and then my boyfriend, Michael, is the one really doing things day to day. Like he's the one that's with me 24 seven. Like we haven't, I think we've spent probably two days apart in the last two years. So, um, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we, we live together. We sort of train together. We work together. We have our coaching business together. So, um, we are literally living out of each other's pockets, but it works really well. And it's, I have my best friend with me at all times and he knows me better than anyone as well. So, He's had a, a very big role in making sure that I make good decisions because I'm very, I'm obviously very driven. I love to run, but I also don't really have a stop button. So I, I will continue to push, 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 push. And if my mum sets something on the programme, even if I'm feeling a little bit tired or I'm a little bit uh, under the weather, I would always just go out and continue to do it and get it done. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's, he's the more sensible one who says, look, you're a little bit tired. Let's back off a little bit. So we have made a lot of changes and I think that's really helped to, it's probably been the most consistent I've ever been in my life with regards to illness and injury. And um, so, yeah, he's the one sort of day-to-day helping pacing and taking the stopwatch and helping with my sessions. And my mum is still the one sort of overviewing it all, but certainly there's been more of a discussion now. I suppose I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm an adult, I'm 30 years old now. I need to take responsibility for my own training too. So there's a lot more discussion that goes in between it, between myself, my mom and Michael as to what training we do rather than in the past as a kid, obviously my mom would just set the training and I would follow it and that would be it. But she fully understands that I suppose I know even my own body now better than I ever have. So um, yeah, I'd say it is a, it's a group, a group effort really to, to plan to plan my month that's quite a team I assume they get on yeah 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 they do really <laughs> and my dad uh, although he doesn't like set my training he's always there as like a bit of a an external soundboard as well so my dad was also a professional athlete so again I feel very fortunate to have had I mean my mum who's been there and done it my dad who's been to world championships as well and and then my partner Michael's been to three Olympic games so they know what it takes to reach that level and I feel like they've been able to learn from their mistakes to try and make sure I don't make the same ones. And I think that really helps too. Yeah. That, I mean, it just sounds absolutely, it sounds like the dream team to have all these Olympians, like, <laughs> you know, looking after your back essentially. So um, I guess they're, yeah, they're... Not, I was going to say, it sounds like it would be really intense, but it's not at all. Like <laughs> Michael is the most, my and my dad are like the most laid back people in the world. And um, my mom's a very realistic person as well. So they 
it sounds like it would be very intense and that it's so much like dictatorship where I have to get up at this time and go to bed at this time and eat these things. And it's not like that at all. Like we are very, very relaxed with the way, um, the way that we plan things. And I think it works. That's just the type of person I am as well. I don't think that sort of regimented routine would, would work well for me. I am quite laid back too and relaxed about things. And I think, um, yeah, the setup that we have at the moment just, just really works well. So I'm, I'm lucky to have them, uh, in my life yeah I know you know it does sound like it and like I wonder because you sounded quite sort of um I don't know you sound quite comfortable about the kind of you know the impending Olympics I wondered if of your team if there's if more someone out there is more excited about you going to the Olympics than you are um my mum gets definitely very nervous I think I suppose because she has been with me through all the highs and the lows and she, I suppose at this point I'm coming into good form and things have been really good I think she just wants a smooth run up to the game so she certainly gets more uh, nervous I think than than anyone else mm-hmm. um, I don't think she ever used to be but perhaps it's just the more competitive you get and maybe the faster you start running I suppose the, there's finer margins um, I suppose when I was younger, it was all just an experience and it was good fun. But now this is like my third Olympic Games. It's it, it's probably much more serious on her side. Um, but yeah, my dad and Michael are very, very laid back. So I can't imagine they ever get particularly nervous. They're more what will be, what will be. And that's it. So that definitely helps uh, calm me down. And I think that's probably why I'm not too worked up about it. I think I certainly perform better when I am relaxed and I have a bit more going on other than just running as well so um yeah I'm looking forward to it and to be honest I'm just I'm just happy it's happening I think for a long time as I said it looked like it wasn't going to be happening at all and we had just been training for not no reason because obviously I love to run but there was no end end goal and end uh, competition so now it's just nice to know that this is actually going to happen now there's an Olympic Games coming up and um I suppose the way I'm, I think of it as well is I can only ever just do my best. So if I go there and I run a time that I'm happy with, and if that comes in the top five, I'd be over the moon. If it's only good enough for the top 10, I'll be happy with that. And if it's, if I come last, but I run a PB, what can I, what can I do? Do you mean I've given it everything I can? So that's the the mindset that I always have going into these races. I can't control everyone else. I can't control how fast people run. Um, I just have to do my very, very best and whatever that gets me on the day, I'll, I'll be more than happy with. I am so excited on your behalf. <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait to see you run. Um, I just want to say the best of luck, really, for the Olympics. I, I just hope you have like the best days ever and Thanks. the best running that you could ever imagine. Um, and we will all be watching you. So uh, even if we can't be there in person, which would be pretty cool, <laughs> we're going to be watching the telly and cheering you on. So the very, very best of luck. Oh, thank you so much. No, I appreciate that. Thanks. That's okay. You take care and have a good trip out there. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Ailish is a phenomenal athlete and an extraordinary woman and one of Team GB's brightest stars. We cannot wait to find out what she does next. This podcast was recorded over Zoom. The editor and composer was David Newman. Please hit like and subscribe. That way you won't miss the next episode. Podcast listeners can claim the best discount we have for membership to Women's Running, which is 35% off. 
That's less than two ninety five a month. Go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk and enter WRPod at the checkout for your discount. Happy running. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.